Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. Very delighted today to be interviewing on our PCA one-on-one Brad Stevens, the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Uh, Brad uh, came to the Celtics from Butler University where he uh, was a wildly successful college coach. And I'm really eager to, to, uh, to get into to talking with you, Brad. So thanks so much for taking the time. No problem, Jim. Let me let me just start by saying to be a successful basketball coach at the college or professional level, you have to put in a lot of time. What makes basketball so much fun that you're willing to do that? Well, I think, you know, you start out you start out by getting a passion for a game at a young age and so for me, you know, my enjoyment of basketball has really morphed over time from the time where I started watching it as a young, young kid, the time where I was playing it, and nothing's better than playing it. And then, you know, learning to look at it through a different lens, the coaching realm, which, uh, you know, every season and every team challenges you in unique ways. And and obviously that, that, that and, and added to that, the competition, um, you know, make it so that it's constantly on your mind and you're constantly trying to figure out how to give yourself the best advantage. And so it's you know, I, I think my my enjoyment of the game has changed um, as I've gotten older, and it's become more of a job and less of just a game that I watched in passing. You know, I um, I read a, a book about some of the great chess masters many years ago, and um, some of them uh, actually went insane. Uh, and the, the the writer of this book was saying that part of it is there's an infinite number of variations in chess, so you can never really master it. And I wonder if, if there's a – not that you're going to go insane, but is there a similar dynamic with basketball, that there's just an infinite number of things that can happen? Well, I don't think there's any question about that, and that's what makes it fun. I mean, that's why that's why it's you know constantly challenging you, and and you think about it all off season. You can never really get away from it in your mind, and I've and I've really enjoyed that aspect of the job. I think that um, you know in in anything you you want to be in a situation where you're excited to come to work, where you have the opportunity to to be a part of a team and to to get a chance to do things together, do difficult things together. And, and there's no um, – I, I haven't found anything like the, the thrill of just trying to get better and watching a team grow and get better and taking on those tasks and challenges. Um, and, and, again, it's, 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 it's a job, and so there's a lot of things that um, – you know, very much are, are job-like aspects, but it's also a kid's game and and kind of what drew you to it in the first place. So you um, you were incredibly successful at Butler University early on. Uh, your first year as a head coach, you won 30 games. Um, you set an NCAA record for the most wins in your first three years as a head coach. And you were the youngest coach ever to go to two Final Fours. Um, and you did that two years in a row, which I would say, um, you know, you had talented players, but you were not, you did not have the most talented team by far in the, the Sweet 16. Um, 
What's what's your secret sauce? Why why are you so successful? Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's a big secret. I think you know it, it all depends on how you define talent because in a lot of ways we were as talented as anybody in the country and and maybe not from a traditional basketball sense, individual to individual. Though we had some very talented individuals, but we had as tough tough a guys um, physically and mentally. Um, we had incredibly savvy players. We had guys that were all in for the team, were all in for one goal. And I think at the end of the day, those are all talents and those are all skills. And it's easy to say, you know, you know, I've heard, I've heard people use the phrase that you need to be great at the things that take no talent, um, you know, where, by being a good teammate, by being tough, by being on time, by doing all of those things every single day. Well, the longer I'm in it, the more I think those are talents in and of themselves. I think that you know, the best of the best can live uh, and, and play with a clear mind and play with a real unselfish attitude, and, and that's what those teams had. I mean, they were the highest level of that in every which way. They, they were chock full of people that raised the energy level in the room and that didn't care who got the glory. That's what made it a lot of fun. You know, at our um, coffee with the coaches for PCA New England um, at uh, Fenway Park in June, where you you were on a panel, um, you, you said, uh, well, let me first of all say, Tara Vanderveer, a Stanford women coach, once said to me years ago that to be successful as a coach, your best players have to be the hardest workers. You said on that panel, your best players have to support your vision. Can you Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I think it's saying the same thing. I think part of your vision is is you know having a work ethic that is really fantastic all the way up and down the organization, and 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 I think that that's that's true. You know, I, I've heard people say as well that you know when your best players are your best leaders, then you've really got something. So I, I think a lot falls on the on the best players, and a lot falls on the relationship between the coach and the best player. Tara also said that uh, she tells her players that they will not outwork her. And I was actually coaching high school basketball at the time, and I, I took that to heart. And I was thinking, okay, how, how do I let my – I was you know, watching videos and going to coaching clinics and reading books, but I realized I hadn't shared any of that with my players. They didn't necessarily know how hard I was working. Um, how, do you, how do you let your, your players know that you're working hard just like they are? Well, they can see it, um, and you know I, I'm not going to be out there telling them everything I've done or telling them everything that I read on a daily basis or anything like that. My my goal is to simplify their their life with regard to the game of basketball. And when we enter practice, I don't want to waste their time. I want to get in and out of the gym as soon as possible. And to do that, you have to spend a lot of time thinking about the right way to go about. Um, your practice plan or your game prep or whatever the case may be so that they have the right amount of information, not too much, not too little. Uh, you know, I had a boss that, that was really fantastic, Todd Licklider, that told me, um, he used to quote Abe Lincoln all the time where he said, I apologize for the length of this letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. And I think that, 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 that says it all. I think if you, you know, if the, the more prepared you are, the more succinct you can be, the simpler you can be. And the better everybody around you can can operate, and so that you know whether or not they they know 
um, or pay attention to the hours or the amount of time is really insignificant to me. I'm just worried about us making sure we're we're getting everything we need to get done done. Yeah, that Lincoln quote is a is a, a beautiful one. Um, there's uh, I was reading it recently about the the, the Butler Way um, and. Uh, Five points of it, humility, passion for excellence, unity, servanthood, and thankfulness. Um, and with Positive Coaching Alliance, we work with coaches a lot on team culture and, and organizations, creating an organizational culture away from the entertainment sports culture towards what we call a development zone culture. In the development zone, the goal is to develop better athletes, better people. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Butler way and, uh, and team culture and how coaches, maybe high school coaches or youth sports coaches, can take advantage of culture to help their teams uh, excel? Well, you know, I think in, you know, in specific to my time at Butler, I thought that that was our you know, I thought that the the culture that was established well before I got there, and and really defined by Barry Collier, um, really set the tone for all that we achieved in the in the 2000s. Not only the Final Four runs, but the the multiple other Sweet 16s, the the different tournament runs, the the regular season success, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that was the biggest part of it, um, because again, we 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 knew who we were, and it helps you make decisions based on um, based on what's most important to you and your program and the values that you establish within your program. So I think culture is huge, and I think culture is something that, you know, it's, it's not something that automatically um, regenerates or automatically, um, you know, is year to year. It's got to be, it's got to be passed along. Um, by the, the older players in your program. It's got to be passed along by the way that you do things um, as a staff. And, and those are things that, you know, I've always found really challenging as a coach. You know, if, I, if I'm going to demand that these things are things that we think are important to success on the court and also, you know, off of the court, then I've got to try my best to be a model that's striving to live towards that. At one point, you had said that um, you, you, you like solving puzzles, and basketball presents kind of an endless series of puzzles. Um, do you also like to do Sudoku or crossword puzzles? Do you like to read mysteries? You know what? Not really. Um, I've done, uh, you know, I, I went through a phase where I was flying a lot that I, I would dabble in the Sudoku, but I, but I haven't done. I, I'm not really into uh in, into those, I, I think it's more it's more to me about trying to figure out how to get the personalities on a team to all fit together. Yep. You know, in in looking back over um, uh, your career uh, in 2010, in a Sweet 16, you played Syracuse, and numerous times uh, Syracuse made a run, and each time you called a timeout. And your team came out and did something that worked. And then later you went on to play Kansas State. Uh, similar situation. They made a run. You called a timeout. Um, your team came out and, and did something that worked. And I think every youth coach, <laughs> every high school coach, every coach at every level wants to be the kind of coach that can call a timeout, 
and tell their players what they need to hear and send them out to be successful. Do you remember those those timeouts that I just mentioned? And can you talk a little bit about what you were able to share with your players to make them successful? Well, I don't um, I don't remember them specifically, no. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I'm probably not too dissimilar time out to time out really throughout the course of my whole career. So, you know, I'm I think I'm very much this is what we need to do next. Um, and that's that's always been my focus. Now, certainly, there's different times where you have to, you know, really talk about what just happened, whether it was a mental lapse, physical lapse, or or if it was a combination of the two, or if there's something that you need to change within your scheme. I mean, you're always using timeouts to relay that. But I think also, but I think you know, the biggest thing that that we can do is focus on what to do as far as moving forward. So I, I don't think it was anything in particular. I think it was just more. This is what we've. Uh, this is what we need to do to become the best we can be in this next four-minute segment. Yep. Um, another iconic game was uh, your game against Gonzaga, um, when uh, you know one one of your players stole the ball at the buzzer. Uh, I think Gonzaga might have been the number one team in the country. They were in the top ten anyway. Um, and uh player made a almost a half-court shot at the buzzer to win. And I was watching that game, and I'm pretty clear in my mind, my memory, which is not so good, but my memory is that you didn't actually see the ball go into the basket, that you had already turned and were walking towards uh, Mark Few, the coach of Gonzaga. First of all, is that true that you did not see the ball go in the basket? And then secondly, no. how can you be so calm um, in a situation like that? Well, I saw the ball go through the basket. Um, I had started walking, okay. but I, I, I watched it. Um, you know, I'm I'm not that um, I, I'm not that emotionless. <laughs> but I, I think that uh, I, I think that you know, as I was walking down the floor. Um, you know, I'm thinking about two things. Number one is is that we've got a heck of a challenge to respond after this, um, because it, when you're in coaching, you're you're totally in the moment, um, and part of being in the moment is always kind of anticipating what's next and and being able to think about how you're going to communicate to your team the next time you talk to them. And so the thing that's going through my mind is not that we won the game; it's what am I saying in the locker room afterwards because we have a hard game Wednesday. And the other part of it is, is Mark's a, you know, a, a good friend, a longtime friend. And, um, you know, the last thing that I needed to be doing was doing cartwheels um, with him over there in, in a game that both teams played great. You know, I interviewed Tim Howard, the, the, uh, recently the goalkeeper for the U.S. Uh, soccer team in the World Cup. And he scored a goal once in the goal, a 108-yard goal or whatever. And um, he he showed no emotion from it. When I asked him about that, he said he did not want to show up his counterpart on the other side because, um, you know, it's – it's. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the great things about sports that's best. We talk about at Positive Coach Alliance about honoring the game and respecting your opponents. And um, I think sometimes uh, – well, I guess I just want to say I really admire – you're thinking about Mark Few in that moment, um, and that that's really what we want coaches to do and athletes to do is to think about their opponents in, in situations like that. 
Well, and I think it's you know it doesn't make a a a an exuberant celebration bad either. I mean, I think that's part of sports. And if if you're on the other side of that, and I've and I've been on the other side of that, you know, you're not you don't lose any sleep over it. Um, at least I never have. I understand that that's part of it. We put so much into winning that moment or winning the next game that. You know, it's okay to it's okay to show that kind of enthusiasm. But you know, I guess I've been in a lot of these games, and you know, the longer you get into it, the more you know you realize that there's only so much you can control. That shot goes in or not. Um, you know, our team played great that night. A little bit undermanned. We, you know, our best player was sitting out, and so it was. Uh, you know, I, I knew that we had we had done everything we could to try to win the game, and that was about all we could ask. Yeah. Um, we're, we've been talking about uh, mostly about the human aspects of, of uh, sports, but, um, you know, I think you were a little bit ahead of the curve, maybe more than a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of analytics. Um, how, how do you how do you think about using analytics to um, to help your team succeed? Yeah, I think that. Obviously, I think it's important, but I think a lot, you know, that would be seconded by every coach in the NBA and every coach and at every level. I mean, the the more information that you have, the better, the more that you can process in a short amount of time to get to your players, the better, the more that they can know and still play with a clear mind, the better. Um, So I don't think I'm all that unique or, or, you know, know, a, a quote, person ahead of the or at the at the top of the analytics movement I think that's been a little bit overblown I think it's it's more that I just look for like you talked about earlier any way to to help us you know find an answer um, when we have a puzzle in front of us yep yep um, so let's um Let's talk about your your transition from college to the pro ranks. Um, I think I read where you were you had said you had uh, you know when you were approached about the, the UCLA job that was open at that time, and uh, I think you'd said to your wife like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, if I'm not interested in going to leaving Butler to go to UCLA, where would I be interested in going to? Uh, and and then of course the Celtics came. Um, what was what went into through your mind about uh, college leaving Butler to go to the Celtics, um, and and how has that transition been? Well, uh, it's been first of all, it, it was really really a difficult decision to leave Butler. That was first and foremost because it was such a such a great place. It was a huge part of our um, you know early adulthood. Um, Tracy and I, we were there. I was there for 13 years, and it was pretty much my entire professional career before I moved. So leaving was really difficult, um, and the only way that, that I was going to do that was for a special opportunity, and obviously the Boston Celtics are a special opportunity. And, you know, I, I think there's ob- there's things that, that you ask and the things that you do to study and, and figure out um, the work environment and the commitment level to from a long term standpoint and and those type of things that you have to do your due diligence on and the Celtics you know answered all of those questions and and more importantly to me and what I'm so thankful for is that 
you know, ever since I've been here, it's it's been exactly what was advertised. And you know, I, I work for great people. Um, they're very supportive. They are. Um, they understand that it's a process to get back to where we need to go and where we want to be. And you know, they they value all of the things that you need to do to really grow and get better. And and so it's been. Uh, it's been it's been a you know it's it's been a good transition from that standpoint. We'd we'd uh, you know hopefully we'll get better and better and better. Um, but uh, yeah, it was difficult to leave, but it was only going to be for a place that was truly unique, and this was truly unique. And it helps that it's not in college because it's you know obviously we are we are number you know we are first and foremost um, Butler fans and can continue to be that. Yeah, I love what you said. You get to you get to keep all your your Butler gear, <laughs> whereas if you'd gone to another college, you couldn't wear that. Yeah, um, that's it. And we and we do. And my wife, you know, my wife has been fortunate enough to be on the board of trustees there now, and so she's going to be back a few times a year. And I'm, uh, you know, I got a chance to go back for graduation and um, and spend time there and see a lot of our old friends and. You know, we keep in regular contact with them and, you know, couldn't be more proud to have worked there um, the years that we did and couldn't be more um, more rabid of fans than we are from afar. That's great. Um, in terms of the transition of the pro game, I, I know um, reading I mean, the, the – the, the typical college coach who goes into the pro as a head coach um, typically doesn't do well. And I remember reading about one college coach who was very successful, uh, came into a head coach of a pro team, and they described him as always being one matchup behind, that the, the pro game is, is faster and the coaches are, you know, thinking ahead more or whatever. Have you found that, that, um, that it's, it's – uh, you know, go, go from high school to college, college to pro. That it, it is a different game in in a faster game and more challenging than uh, the college. Faster because the players are bigger, faster, stronger. Um, the shot clock shorter. Uh, there are a lot of challenges that that you need to be up to, including the 82 game schedule, which is a, a whole different situation in and of itself because it limits practice time and it's obviously a lot more travel and toll on your players and coaches bodies and 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 everything else. And so, you know, I think that there are um there are certainly a lot of differences. You know, I I'd done my research quite a bit on college coaches moving to the pros and and one of the, you know, a lot of the coaches that had done that went into building situations and situations where it was going to be very hard to win without the appropriate amount of time. And so I think that that was something that was really important that, that you, that, you know, it was from the standpoint of in meeting with the Celtics and in deciding to ultimately leave Butler to say, okay, we just traded two hall of famers. We know that we're in the process of building, growing and getting better. And is, is, is there a commitment to 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 do this over a course of a longer period? And I think that that's something that, again, was not only communicated up front, but has been. I've just felt really supported all the way through here, and 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 that's been great. So you know, I think certainly there are big challenges. I I'm a lot better um, and a lot more prepared on August 27th, August 28th to 
you know, this year than I was last year. And that's to be expected, I think. But um, but I do think that, you know, hopefully we can just, you know, again, show signs of improvement and, and keep building in the right direction. Well, I think they gave you, a, was it a seven-year contract? It was actually a little less than that. Okay. So I, mem- uh, I was really interested to find out um, that John Wooden, it took him 15 years, I think, before he won his first NCAA championship. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of places won't give a coach uh, enough time to develop. Um, you know, 15 years, how many people, I think if you asked them uh, how long did it take John Wooden to win a championship, they might have said three or four. Right. Well, I think that that's you know, and and I think you know, I read an article the other day about what what would Duke be like if um, the AD would have acted on you know on on you know the reaction of some, not very many, but some fans to the first three years that Coach K was there um, because they they didn't have a winning record, and and then all of a sudden it became you know, one of, if not the dominant program in college basketball. And so, you know, I think that that's, there, there are benefits as long as you know you're, you're in a situation where guys are really improving and guys are getting better and guys feel empowered to come to work and those type of things. I think that, you know, it's, it's, um, you, you feel, I think the continuity pays itself off in the long run. Now, I'm obviously biased in that regard because I'm the one sitting in the chair and we didn't have a very good year. But I think that, um, but I do think that there is something to stay in the course. And and sometimes you're you're a lot closer than you think you are. Um, and like like we've said many a times here, you're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. And you're usually somewhere in between. I was just talking with a friend about a mutual friend who had started two or three successful businesses, uh, and then he'd started one that was kind of a dud, and he went into a depression. Uh, instead of rather rather than looking at saying, "Hey, I've created three really great companies, and this one didn't work out the way I wanted to," he really focused on on that last. I think so many of us are perfectionists that way, and and uh, don't give ourselves enough credit. Well, I think that that's, you know, that, that's hard. I mean, this is an emotional game. This is an emotional industry. Um, your your highs are size of relief and your lows are, you know, feel, feel like, um, you know, a lot more devastating than the, than, the, than the joy of winning. Let's put it that way. And I think that it, I think that that's the way that most um, coaches look at it. You know, I think they, they, I've heard, I heard one uh, college coach say, you know, winning, winning, you're moving on to what's next. Losing is just pure misery. And I, and I think that there's, mm-hmm. there's probably some truth to that. And, I, and maybe that's because you, you just know that um, being able to get back off of that, that, that feeling of losing is something that you just are driven to the next day and, and in your practice and getting back onto the court and then, hopefully getting over the hump the next game and making sure that, you know, none of those feelings of doubt creep in that, that, that you saw in the last time that you performed. And that's part of coaching and that's part of getting the most out of people, but that's certainly the way that you look at it and emotions run high. And, you know, I I think that's why it's so important as you're into this is to focus on the process and to, 
um, be more focused on if you're growing, if you're getting better than on the results. And because at the end of the day, if if you're if you if you're going to put your self worth or your your self esteem on the results, then then you know you're walking a, a scary line. And I think that that's again in coaching, I'm trying to control what I can. I'm trying to teach as best as I can and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, you just answered a question I was going to ask. I wanted to, as we wrap this up, I wanted to focus on uh, youth sports. And uh, I was going to ask you what, um, you know, what advice would you give coaches to be able to maintain their composure in the highs and lows? And I think you just said, you know, really focus on the process and getting better and not so much on the scoreboard. Any other advice for high school and youth coaches on um, how to get the most out of the players, how to – Get some enjoyment themselves, even when they lose. Well, I think I think the biggest thing is keep the focus on the growth of of your program, the growth of the team, the growth of the players within your team. And you know, I, I um, you've got the Stanford tie out there, and and one of my f- favorite books that I've ever read is by Stanford professor of psych Carol Dweck, uh, Mindset, where she talks about. You know, not necessarily pursuing trophies, but pursuing pursuing growth, not being afraid of failure, but being driven by it. And I think that if we can instill that in our players, if we can instill that in our kids, um, if I as a parent can do a good job of instilling that in my two children, then, you know, they're, they're going to be able to maintain an even keel. They're going to be able to to handle success because it's not going to be overblown and they're going to be able to to move on from defeat because it's not going to be all that um you know it's not it's not going to destroy their 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 outlook and I think that that's really important and it's hard to do um you know I'm a competitive guy winning and losing is important um I've always been a guy that hates to lose anything I do and um and at the same time, you know, the longer I've gotten into coaching, again, the more I realize that it is about about being able to respond one way or another to play your best the next day, regardless of circumstance. You know, Carol uh, Carol Dweck is like you on uh, PCA's National Advisory Board, and I don't know if you have, have you met Carol. I have not. Um, we'll have to arrange that at some point because she's a a big sports fan. I think she'd love to meet with you. Um, signed a, she signed the, a book for me last uh, last Christmas. My my um, sister-in-law got that for me. So tell her thank you if you see her. I, I will. Um, I read a quote from Henry Kissinger a while back that every victory is simply um, a, a, the the door a door opening to a greater problem. And when I when I first read that, I didn't get it exactly right. But basically, every 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 success is uh, um, uh, opens the door to the next problem. And I thought, if you have a fixed mindset, that's that's like hell. <laughs> if you have a growth mindset, it's like that's that's great. Okay, now we got another another uh, uh, another problem we have to solve. And uh, I'm reading a book now on scaling. It's called Scaling Up Excellence because uh, Positive Coach Alliance is scaling around the country. And he, the authors use this term uh, that entrepreneurs see themselves in knee-deep in a manageable mess. Um, and I often thought that was a good metaphor for coaching as well. Like 
I'm in, I'm in a mess here, but it's manageable. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a um, unique phrase and unique way to look at it, but I think that there there are some some things that really apply there. And, you know, I thought our, my hardest my hardest off season with regard to getting ready to coach a team the following season was after we went to the first Final Four because of the the, the challenges that would be presented by human nature, not necessarily by anything else. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's something that no matter no matter how good you were yesterday um there are there are challenges in moving forward and growing and 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 that's something that again kind of keeps you on your toes as a coach and that's what makes a this a, an enjoyable profession you bet um last question um at at our um coffee of the coaches event at Fenway Park in June you said I love watching my kids play so much. I wouldn't want to coach them unless they begged me. Um, I just thought, what a what a lovely thing. And and one of the things we tell parents, if if you if you have to say something to your child after a game, say, I really love watching you play. So I I loved uh, that quote. Um, can you think of a a college coach um, that you would want your kids to play for, and why? You know what? There are there are college coaches at all different levels of basketball um, that I would be honored if they recruited my kids to play there. Uh, it probably wouldn't be fair to single out one, um, but I can tell you this: our, our, I would encourage my son to look at it from the standpoint more of the big picture of of what does that experience do for you for the next fifty years and. What relationships would you build as a result of being part of that organization and program? And you know, there are a lot of people that that do it a lot of great ways. And you know, interestingly enough, after being in coaching and 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 getting a chance to live the the highs of Final Fours and coaching in the NBA and those type of things, my my encouragement to my son would be a lot less about playing time, style of play. Um, et cetera, and a lot more about those intangibles that I mentioned earlier because I think those are those are a lot more important, and, and I don't think enough people make decisions based on those things. Great. Yeah, Brad, thank you. It's been a great uh, great interview. I think the, the coaches, parents, and athletes who listen to it are going to get a lot from it. Um, I also want to thank you for your support of the Positive Coaching Alliance movement, um, having uh, having individuals like you on our National Advisory Board really uh, gives us credibility. And also thank you for the, the role model that you set for youth coaches who, uh, you know, you as a coach you work so hard and then you're disappointed and it's easy to lose control. And I just feel like you're a, you're a great role model. So I want to thank you for your support. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.